0: Hello and welcome to Mistakes wait, wait, Were Made. Wait, it's, not, with it's me- not
1: recording yet. Oh, it is recording. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I didn't see the countdown. You-
0: Hello and welcome to Mistakes Were Made with me, Chris Slowly and not Alex Steger, even though you will hear him shortly. Today I'm joined by Frank Talbot. Thank you for doing this, Frank. I know you've listened through to our conversation and uh, you've got your own thoughts. So today we spoke to Jean-Francois Ottomel, who used to be the head of fund selection at Unicredit. He then moved to a product development role at JP Morgan and now works as a consultant for uh, Terra's Nuovez Consulting, where he helps asset management companies develop and produce funds. That sounds like a big intro, but you'll explain why I've said it when we get into it. He covers a lot of ground. Frank, you've you've not met Jean-Francois, but what, what are your impressions of him having listened through.
1: Yeah, I've, I've not met Jean-François, uh, and I have listened to the podcast itself. Um, he, I like that he didn't take himself too seriously. He had a real levity uh, to, to the way he spoke about the mistakes that had been made, which I really like given you know, he's obviously been very successful
0: yeah definitely, and I think also uh without being unfair to Jean francois, I think it was one of the first ones where we actually get two mistakes out of him because we get one from the fund selection side, and without front running, we get one from the product development side as well, so it's quite interesting to hear someone who's played many sides of the field and what mistakes can be made across the industry really
1: he was he was very open about the sort of behavioral mistakes that that are easy to make uh in both jobs that he's made or rather had. <laughs>
0: Okay, without front-running it too much, I think we should just cut to the chase. Here's Jean-Francois.
2: The biggest mistake we did was uh, actually a case of what I would call herd mentality, in a sense that you know, we had a whole process to actually you know, select funds, look at the quantitative side, look at the qualitative side, and then hear what the, the sales force was doing. And we're talking about sales forces in Italy, Germany, and Australia primarily. Um, and we had a, one of the partners had a very broad, fund uh, range uh, which covered most of the asset classes we wanted to do and we did uh, quite a bit of work with them and one of the actually two of their funds uh, were on the fixed income side, which you know are extremely important in in Europe and we we had them and we had a lot of clients especially in Italy uh, putting a lot of money into this and then Things started to go a bit strange in a sense that uh, they they were be I mean, they, they were making decisions which were not really ter- terribly happy about. Uh, we were not getting the answers, and we kept on so, monitoring what they were doing. We gave them you know, a three-month or six-month review. That kept on going. My my CEO and I we actually went to see them, uh, and although we were not terribly convinced um, about what was going on, um, we kept them on board because the the distribution network were very much engaged with them uh, until the moment where they all came back. No, I had a bunch of bankers calling me uh, in Italian asking me what's going on with this, that type of stuff, uh, which was not exactly, which was not exactly good. And uh, ultimately, we put no we we put it on watch and then we remove the two funds from the from the selection from from the selected funds that we had uh, that being said, and that 's part of the challenges of doing fund selection for a um, for a distribution network is that once they're selected and what you're on the the approved list, those products have a life of their own so uh you kept on having clients uh coming back uh, and putting more money although the performance was getting not was not brilliant at all uh and we couldn't get the answers we wanted so uh, i think what's, what the, the the key major uh Takeaway I got from this is be very careful what no, call in behavioral finance herd mentality. I everybody you follow the trend, everybody is going into it, you should go into it, your clients won't do into it. Um not step back and say, okay, does this really make sense or not? Uh, can actually get, get you no know, what can we do about it? Um, probe pro-
3: obviously the mistake was that the funds were popular, you you wanted to just- you recommended them in the first place and you didn't want to yeah. pull out of them too quickly too because, they, because they were popular. Just, just for a moment, when you mentioned sort of things started to go, things started to be a bit strange. Was this a performance thing or was it more of an allocation thing? Or what were the things where you started to worry and go, hang on a sec, this isn't quite what we thought it would be?
2: It was a, a, a performance was starting to deteriorate quite dr- drastically. Uh, and that manager was also making bets, which uh, were within the no, because it was a sizable strategy altogether. They were able to do them and stay beyond the be within the guide, the the guidelines of uh, the mandates and the the guidelines the usage guidelines, but they were no some of those investments turned south (laughs) Uh, and basically were impacting the performance of the fund at the end
3: of the day. And they were sort of operating Uh, at the edges of their mandate, maybe getting a little uh, riskier uh, uh, than than they uh, should have been.
2: Exactly. And we never really got, I mean, I remember having a meeting with their risk manager, and again with the CIO, and said, no, no, we're talking about no risk management, what are the the guidelines that you have? uh, uh, Aren't you concerned about this? And they said, no, no, we're absolutely fine, we're within the guidelines, there's no problem whatsoever, don't worry about it, this is going to go on, we're, we're, we're going to rebound, which of course he didn't really do. So, what, How did that story finish then, Jean-François? Did well, you... that story, but, well, that story finished, actually, that story finished after I left, I mean, we removed the two funds from our recommended list, uh, and as you can imagine, the relationship didn't really go terribly well after that, and... Uh, since after I've left, they've actually uh, have uh, removed that partner from their uh, from their list. Actually, I had the, the, the person who actually no, uh, was my successor call me and said, do you think I'm doing the right thing type of thing? Oh, tester. absolutely. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the mistake then was, from your point of view, was adding them in the first place because they were popular or just not being Quick enough to cut ties with them when you saw things going wrong. Where 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 was the sort of the, the error on your part?
2: I, th- I think that I think I think the error was twofold. I mean, at first when we put them on the list, they were absolutely fine. We had a very strict uh, quantitative model looking at consistency of performance, looking at you know peer ranking of performance in terms of you know, volatility. So they, they were very 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 good. Uh, uh, what happened is that I my sense from, from a uh, mystic standpoint is basically giving them more time to actually hang themselves, uh, and uh, that's one thing. And second of all, uh, as I said, try to be more forceful in convincing the distribution network to stop selling that product.
3: Got it. And and so and then you took from that, the, the, did you, uh, a lesson that you took from it, Did did you then as a result sort of in futures I, mean, I I suppose you moved on relatively soon afterwards, perhaps <laughs> but but gen, generally
2: <laughs> no, I was still there for a bit uh, no i think we i think, I think we became much more diligent and much more i mean no, we had a three month and a six month and after six month uh process, we said, okay, you know what, this is not getting any better uh we were just not gonna do, we're just not gonna get this fund into the we have to remove this fund from the, floor, distribute from the list, and you no know, the, the challenge was to find replacements to, so people can actually can get their money into it. And, and we found it, and that was fine. Uh, but it was basically not acting fast enough in terms of again, you know what? This is not working.
3: <laughs> and so, did you did you then act faster in the future where there were other uh, yeah, similar-ish yeah, but, things? De-
2: de- definitely, yes, yes, and and probe more and probe absolutely more. I mean. The, the the beauty of being part of a very large organization, one of the, you no, know, uh, very good name, uh, is that you have access to pretty much everybody, including the portfolio manager. So you don't have no, you don't have just the CPM telling you what they are told to, they are told to do. You actually can get the portfolio manager to explain to you face to face, in person, what's going on, what's not going on.
0: I was going to ask on that, Jean Francois, because we've had a number of columns across Citywire over. This year so far, from expert like experts Bob Boyder, uh, Deb Clark, talking about their worst manager meetings or their red flags yeah. in manager meetings. Yes, N- you've met a number of managers, like you said, you get the you had the access at UniCredit. What red flags would you have seen? What sort of things would stand out in that initial meeting that made you think maybe this isn't the right way to go?
2: That's a tricky one. Uh, actually, it's quite interesting because I'm doing some work on uh, due diligence uh, questionnaire at the moment and. You know you can have all of the information that you have, but it really comes down to your gut and your gut feelings in terms of you no, know, do I really believe this person, or am I being told a really good story, and how can I poke holes into it uh, <laughs> that's 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 always the tricky part uh so you you know you, you, you go to the meeting and you're not the only you know, it's it's only your own gut, but no, you, we used to have meetings with at least two or three people to make sure that we were... And we had not only uh, people from the selection team, but also people from the uh, investment side who actually are making the... The asset allocation calls in terms of the asset classes, and uh, you no. Know, afterwards, you have a debrief within, you know, with no with a group of two or three that were well, there. Like, okay, do we really believe that story? Is this really something that makes sense for us? Uh, do you
3: think like how much does personality uh, of of the managers matter? Like, because we hear again, so I interview a lot of a lot of uh, people who do your job over here in the states, yeah. sort of from selected states, and everyone you know, everyone talks about or you want them to be, you know, humble, and if they've got too much ego, that's a problem. But then I kind of think, I've met quite a lot of fan managers, quite a lot of them have got quite big egos, but they're still doing pretty well. So I sometimes worry, like, you know, people talk a nice game about personality of the manager, but does it is it something you really f- consider strongly? or
2: It is a, it's a consideration, but I think it's more a question of, um, persona- not personality, but actually, no, the simpatico m- moment, I mean, do you actually click with somebody or not? Uh, and yes, I have clicked with a number of you know, managers who actually have very large egos, both when I was doing fund selection and when I was in, the, in asset managers. You, know, you, sort of, you, know, you, look, you look at some of the guys say, okay, who, who? no, uh, they actually come to you and uh, you, you sort of wonder uh, uh, what uh, they actually are doing. But it's really... Uh, and and some of them are very, are very, very, very good. You tend to see a lot of ego in people are not doing so well, too. I have had a few examples of uh, managers who really are particularly difficult to deal with this. And you know what? Really? I mean, considering what you're doing and how you're doing and the kind of assets you're actually managing, mm, if you're that good, why don't you in a better firm type of thing. Uh, type of, so that, that's Would you the, ever that's... say that
0: to them? Or that, is that just implied?
2: Well, no, I've said that to a couple of my colleagues in uh, terms <laughs> of who well, not without the investment side. i said, yep, we know, but that's the way it is. I say, fine, you know, it's your decision, not mine. Um, but ego ego plays a role certain so way. Actually, you have to have a certain level of ego. Um, but it's a question of accessibility, understanding, uh, respect for the other side. Now, If you bring some ideas, if you bring a different perspective, are people ready to understand what you're doing or not? I mean, a lot of the work that I'm currently doing is, uh, doing, is on product messaging and, and, and competitive messaging. And you know, the key question that I always ask is, okay, so why as a fund selector or a fund buyer am I supposed to buy you? What makes you better than everybody else? And some people actually are really good at responding to that. And and you say okay, so they've got they done their own work. They actually know what they're doing. They hold no, they hold their their guns. So what they hold on to their gun, which is what some of them they just don't know. I mean, they, so, so so okay. Well, then. But uh, no, well,
3: this no. is a this is a very neat seg- segue actually, which is you know into the into the, the other the other hat that you've that you've worn or, or currently wear. So we we yes not covered, but we've discussed fun selection of the mistakes there, and then you as I understand it also, you're know, more involved now in sort of product development and launch. And so yes. from your point of view, I suppose in, in both careers, um, what are some of the big mistakes that you see, or may indeed have made yourself, uh, on the asset management side when...
0: We can't get them to do two sides of the mistakes, that's unfair.
3: That's unfair, okay. So <laughs> let, let's go, well, actually, with, what have you seen uh, uh, from, from other people?
2: Uh, 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 interestingly enough, I mean, from... Uh... From the, from the product development side, and I haven't read, really, is again, we're back at Unicredit. Uh, we created, but we had, we, had a, we had a bit of a challenge um, in a sense that, especially with the Italian uh, networks, they love Italian bonds. And if you remember a few years ago, they were the, no, they were the one thing that Italian investors were buying. Uh, the challenge for, uh, and they were buying individual bonds, um, which may, which was a bit tricky for uh, the investment team because they had to research every single one of their bonds. And some of them, you, you're looking at uh, Monte di Paschi di Siena's uh, subordinated debt, great, uh, no. Great yield, wonderful. No, But is it really something you want to put your clients' money into? Because you're not really sure this is going to be in place so at, at maturity. So basically what we we, we decided to do, and we've done it with a, with a few managers, um, is create what we called the uh, buy and hold funds or the sunset funds. Basically, it looks like a fund, behaves like a fund, uh, have a maturity of the fund as a... Um, uh, a date a yield that type of stuff, but it's not a fund it's actually it's, it's, sorry like a bond but it's a fund so you basically have a portfolio of multiple uh, a, a basket of of uh securities which you actually manage uh up to the not to the five years uh, of uh, <clears throat> sorry to the to the five years uh, of maturity um now they were very they they became very popular we did a really quite nice business with it the one big mistake we did is that although we stretched the UCD uh, guidelines in terms of liquidity to the maximum allowed in terms of two weeks, that type of stuff, that we never imposed a redemption fee. And there was a lot of discussion, should we do this, shouldn't we do this? And basically, we could, no, no, the metrics are reasonable, they will let the clients know, they, they, they have to stay, stick that type of stuff. Well, unfortunately, what happened is that some of those did extremely well, and people basically redeemed, which means that you ended up with a situations where, uh, first of all, the, the assets were going down, and then when it came to the portfolio managers, they had to rebalance the portfolio, find new, new issues, that type of stuff, which was a, a bit of a nightmare, and trying to close those was just painful, extremely painful. So the, the key the, 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 the key message here is to me is, you know, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> number one, and number two, look at when, when you actually create the product, when you look at what's going to happen, <clears throat> no, uh, the, life, the lifespan of, of the product, where, no look at the, when this is going to be closed. And the process you have to follow. It's like it's a bit like a prenup in a certain way. It's, it's like <laughs> you, you need to actually say, okay, what if things don't go really right? What do we do then? But I guess,
3: uh, like a wedding, you're much more interested in the in the launch.
2: Exactly, the launch. The launch is great. Five years down the road, ten years down the road, it's, eh, it's not so good. Uh, but. And, and that's that's that was that was part that was part of, was part of the problem.
3: I'm going to go back to my and, wife now and, and explain and that exactly. our relationship and, is and, like and a bond see, fund.
2: And I've said that, that a number of times. I mean, interesting enough, part of my career I spent at Citibank when they were launching guaranteed funds like a century ago, and unfortunately I got involved into the not on the development side, but on the management side of it. And uh, they had launched all those products in uh, Latin America uh, and in Asia. Uh, they had a target no they had a they had a target date and, and, and a maturity date and trying to get everybody to really five years down the road when you have clients from Indonesia, from Taiwan, and from Chile is not good <laughs> it's, not, it's not that's a really bad experience. <laughs>
0: Looking at where we are now, Jean-Francois, we seem to be in a sort of thematic heyday. The amount of funds and products are being launched that are launched around one idea or two, or a basket of a handful of ideas. I was keen to get your thoughts on that. Are there some things that just don't make sense in a thematic sense to launch a fund as? I say this because I was at a dinner a few years ago and it, I can say this because it happened. It was with Allianz, the German group, and someone around the table mentioned they're going to launch a pet and well being fund. And it sort of got laughed off. And now it's got, I think, a billion euros in it. So there are some ideas that hit the right point, I appreciate, but there must have been a lot of funds you've seen or, or see that you think, uh, why have you done that?
2: I think they're a good idea. I think the whole traditional way of looking at geographies probably doesn't make sense anymore. Um, my, my personal view is that, yes, you launched new, no, there are new, new themes coming up, but they really should be part of a portfolio, they should be, should be part of a portfolio. So you don't know. Don't put everything into a water fund or into a cybersecurity fund, that type of stuff. It should be part of a, an overall concept of, of, of diversification. And then the, the, the other thing, which is always tricky, especially nowadays when people are s- such questions to launching new funds, is um, no, does this story have legs? No. Will it be, you know, we're asking people to invest for, five more than ten years sometimes uh nobody does but that's okay uh but in terms of your investment thing you're gonna have that thing forever and ever and ever and does it actually make sense to create it if you're not really sure this is gonna happen again we're going back to the herd mentality here so okay but everybody's doing it so why don't we do it and and i've seen that a number of times uh well, well, no so and so has managed to grow now to to build this business and then the, they have this no this fund which is not three billion uh three billion dollars we can do the same thing well not really there's a reason why they did this and 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 you need to understand better why they've been so successful and whether you actually can duplicate that and you have the capability of doing this so myself some of the firms are doing very well in terms of the of the um of thematic funds, but my sense is that they should really be part of a an overall portfolio, uh, so yeah, you can go back and forth between between the um, between the themes that you want to play with.
3: Do you think there's? A, do you think there's a certain amount of noise in there? Like, do you think for for every sort of one or two which are kind of you know have legs, are a genuine sort of you know uh, long term trend, there are quite a few which are perhaps more yeah. opportunistic uh, and uh, maybe I, don't I, make I, sense. I, I
2: would agree they are opportunistic. There's, a lot, of, there's a, lot of that going, a lot of that going on. And, and remember, uh, this is one of those uh, categories where we're still in the business of the winner takes all. So consequently, you know, if you have 20 water farms, and I'm, I know I'm using water, but uh, if you have 20 water farms, you know, who is actually going to win? And do you have a proposition that actually adds value and is differentiating from what everybody else is doing? Which is which is tricky on the which is trickier on the uh, in my mind on the on the thematic side.
3: As on the fund selection side, are there as these funds become more prevalent, more popular? I mean, they're even I know they're sort of a bigger thing in Europe. In the US, a little bit slower uh, to to become a thing. Uh, are there questions or um, sort of areas of due diligence that the fund selectors need to kind of consider? We're looking at these funds, which are different to, to others. Like, how do you separate the sort of the real ones from the from from, from noise from from the opportunists.
2: Well, I think a, I think it's a question. Well, you know, it comes down to uh, the track record of the firms in launching those products. You know, if I were back in fund selection and I had PicTech come to me and offer me a new a new fund, they have a very good track record in doing that. I think everybody knows that, so that's, that's not. Uh, um, so in my sense uh, that's one thing, the manager then the, the manager himself and the experience of the managers, uh, and whether, no, they, whether they actually have the, you know, they have the track record, they have the background, uh, they have the experience to be able to, to manage them. And how they actually again, going back to your previous question about, no, the personality side is, can they actually articulate what they're going to do? in a way that's convincing and actually makes sense.
0: So do you think you're using both your skills then, Jean-Francois? Are you able to sort of, we use the term, was it, poacher turned gamekeeper, where you're the person who's now working out what to get past people such as yourself, you're using your own skill set. Playing chess against I'm your not, former I'm, self.
2: Interestingly enough, as I said, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment on uh, product positioning, product uh, marketing, product no, the, the whole no, how do you articulate your story? And having, in on, having been on both sides has been, has been very, very useful in a sort of way that you know the kind of questions you're going to get. You know the kind of answers you're going to get to the questions you ask. And some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are totally ridiculous. Um, and then from uh, when you ask those questions to the managers, you, well, you know, I, I, I was a buyer. No, I, I know exactly what you know. What, what, what we're looking for, so let, 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 let's work together on this. Uh, and in most instances, they tend to be very receptive. Some of them are not, again, going back to the ego issue. Well, I know better than you, but who do you think you are type of thing? Well, it's fine, good. You know what? I've got other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened a, a few times. And you know, I had a number you know, uh, the firm I was working with, they, they launched their products and I said, well, no, this is not the one you, you want to launch. I said, this is the one you should guess. Well, that's fine. We can do that, but let's see how they work on the one that we've just launched. Well, this is not going to work. You haven't heard me. <laughs> it's not going to work. Showing sure up three years, four years down the road, it's still a sick puppy.
3: What's the dumbest fun you've ever seen launch?
2: The dumbest fun I've ever seen launch? Oh, God. Do we have two hours? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, no. I think. I think it's not a question of dumb funds being... The, I mean, my, my sense is uh, i mean i've always been against guaranteed funds personally I mean never mind that I had to actually you know, unwind them uh using you no know, the the French regulatory system which you not allowed you were not allowed to you know, close funds unless they were less than so many million euros. Um, which of course none of them do. But I've always thought they were a really bad proposition for for the investors at the end of the day, because you know, yes, you protected you you're pro- you protect them from uh, ma- no, market shift downwards, but then it, but nobody remembers that, and then when the markets are doing very well, your performance is basically not uh, to par, and people would come back as well. You know, I'm getting three percent; I should be getting eight. Exactly. So it's,
3: a, it's a never, never... It's, it's a no-win situation it's as a, no as a manager. Situation.
2: absolutely, yes. I
0: was going to say, one final question, Jean-Francois, because we do start with the, the biggest mistake, and we, we like to give people a platform as well. If you had to, what's the biggest achievement you'd think that you've, you've achieved over your career?
2: I think what I, what, my my biggest achievement has been uh, being brought into situations, being brought into a number of firms, and it's happened no now, now and basically build capabilities and build um, teams which are still working at the moment, a few years later. No, I mean, interestingly enough, I've done a number of interviews on, no, uh, after my my departure from any credit, uh, and they're still doing what we were doing when I was there.
0: So you laid the foundation for that. I no, you know,
2: laid the foundation for that. Same thing with J.P. Morgan and the product strategy team. They're still there. They're still doing their work, uh, and, and that's extremely and, and interesting. You know, people have moved on. Some of them have moved on, and basically you now spread the work, which is great. And that, that to me is is the most satisfying because uh, you basically have built something that actually can uh, pass the test of time.
0: So that was Jean-Fortois, Frank. What did you make of him? What did you think listening back? I know you weren't in the room. Anything you would have done differently or anything that jumped out to you?
1: Obviously, I wouldn't do anything different. You, you two are way better than I am. But I think uh, in terms of what was discussed, I was really interested by, you know, the main topic of kind of herb mentality. Uh, when you invest with someone and, and there's a star drift that comes in and they start taking off more than they can chew. I've seen examples of this. I'm sure you have in the industry where fund managers get too big. For their, for their breaches. Um, and I think it comes back to the, the thesis of why do you invest in something in the first place? If they start doing something they shouldn't, it's an immediate warning sign. But it, it's very hard to fight against the the popularity of an individual portfolio manager among all the bankers that he was talking
0: about. Well, I think that touches nicely on a bit that stood up for me, which was about ego. And he didn't seem to want to be drawn on saying that there are, well, there are big personalities. We're aware of that. We spoke to some on this podcast. He didn't seem to think that was a massively bad thing. There seemed to be a suggestion that sometimes you need that. You need that sort of power of personality to push things through, which stood out for me because sort of runs counter to the anti-star manager discussions we've been having lately.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Coming back to the fund manager there, I was intrigued to who it was. Did you have any ideas? I
0: wouldn't want to speculate. I think
1: do, do, do get some defamation. walking a tight there.
0: line there. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I think what was interesting, though, is that when, when he left the group, it was much easier to tell a successor to cut it cut that portfolio manager than it was to cut it himself and again that's the emotional tie that you may have to something and you know how wrapped up you get it talked about once you once you onboard a fund it has a life of its own it's very difficult to extricate it uh, from from your pr- provided list but on the ego front that was interesting too you know he was saying not necessarily important but i quite like to like the individual ego or not
0: yeah definitely but he seems like a very likable man and it does seem to me it sounded like, it'd be very strange seeing him having an aggressive conversation with someone and saying, we're going to remove your fund because you're not doing what we wanted. But he must have done that throughout his career. else He wouldn't have had as long and storied career as he's had. I guess one of his said one of his mistakes was if you were looking at the behavioral aspect is what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? And is the fund doing what you expected it to do? And Alex made the joke about. So signing a prenup before a marriage are you on the same page with what what both your client and both the provider are doing and i think that's sort of a key message because we've heard in the series so far about the importance of looking at fees the importance of understanding where different parties are coming from so i think if you get that wrong you could be in quite a bad place
1: yeah but the the context of that was slightly different in that he you know he created this product and you've got to think about the end as well as the beginning i liked alex's line about the marriage and you know how it's, you think about the start rather than the end, and that's kind of inevitable. But you've you've got a plan for that, and that kind of has parallels with sell discipline. When should you sell something? And it again comes back to his first point about the fact that this portfolio had done something different, and should it, should have it cut it, should have cut it much earlier. Um, you know that say a bond fund manager taking off an equity portion. I think that's kind of what he was alluding to, but without actually going into any any details, or maybe going into some of the sketchier areas of the fixed income market to to plump up returns.
0: Cool. Well thank you everyone for listening um that was jean-francois Automel. um would be more explanation of his career i'll put some links into the the notes for the episode but for the time being i've been chris slowly
1: and i've been frank tilbert standing in for alex tiga